Today we want to talk about Isaac, and we're going to continue with the theme that God seems to be pressing um, concerning our spending time with him and processing appropriately, not just receiving insights, even though that's imperative, but how we process and how we gain the perspective of God and how we utilize that to confront the issues of life is really a predominant key to gaining victory. And so over the past number of weeks, God has been pressing home that point from a number of different voices. And today, I want us to consider this man, Isaac. Now, I want to say a couple things about this, first of all, before we get into the the study itself. The first is that last week we talked about how that um, his wife-to-be, Rebecca, was participating in the reception of the Sha'al opportunity. And we taught on that. And the Lord directed me to what Isaac was doing during that time. And as she was finishing out the process of leaving her family and traveling with Eliezer and the retinue of people to come to be with him. What was Isaac doing? And so we're going to talk about that in this, in this message. The other thing about this is, as I've studied, and, and we've all studied about Abram and Isaac and uh, Jacob, it always amazed me the different ways that God dealt with each of these men. And, you know, Abram was the friend of God. He's the father of all who walk in faith. He had prolific encounters with God. Jacob also had prolific encounters with God. You know, you had the, the Mahanaim, the double camp of the angels, the sensitivity into the things of the spirit. You had uh, the Bethel, where the face of Elohim met with him, and the ladder of the angels of Elohim, and then Yahweh looking down from heaven. You had, you had all kinds of things going on with Jacob. But Isaac, what do we really think when we contemplate him? When we think about the fact that he was the miracle baby, his name means laughter, and God uh, called him that because both Abram and Sarah laughed about the promise of God. It wasn't just, oh, wow, we're here. Have, we've got a baby now. Let's all just rejoice. This was told uh, before the baby was born, and it was in regard to their reaction at, at how comical this whole thing was. We also think about Isaac carrying the wood up to the mountain for the uh, sacrifice, which he was going to be, and the ram in the thicket, and God giving vision and providing, God hath provided the lamb, you know, and you got Isaac who redug the wells of his father, Abram, and, you know, you had all of those, uh, all of those encounters, and then finally a well that there was more than enough. We think about those things, but we really don't have a, and God appeared to me in the sky and said, look, therefore, and see, and there was a ladder. We don't see any of that with Isaac, do we? Now, does it make sense to you that the three main patriarchs, that two of them would be lit up as seers, and the middle boy 
you know, he's just carrying wood up to his own sacrifice and redigging wells and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, there's something unique about Isaac's life. Can you imagine having been the, the first miracle baby in the Bible? Can you imagine that? Being the, the, oh, yeah, we're of the seed of Abraham, we're Abram's seed. But this one was the firstborn. Can you imagine what kind of pressure that might have been? Here's Abram, the friend of God, the father of all who walk in faith, the one whom God coined the term righteousness concerning. And here's, and this is my son. You know, sometimes uh, that can drive kids way off center. I mean, I don't know how many kids I went to, to school with whose dads were big wigs in, in religious movements, and those guys, there was a reason the Scripture said uh, watch and pray because when they were in a service, you needed to keep your eyes open and keep an eye on them because you never knew what they were going to do. There were a lot of pressures to being the child of somebody that is prominently known and used, and Isaac had to be that. And um, he, he processed his relationship with God in a very wholesome way, in a very wonderful way. In so many ways, Isaac was setting the foundation of what Abram provided. It's, he's kind of like the Selah of the patriarchs, because Abram was the one that was setting the direction. Abram was the one who was hearing father of many nations, you know, all of those things. And Jacob was the one who was going to bring about the, 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 the forebears of the 12 tribes and the expansion, you know, the fulfillment of that. Well, not the fulfillment, but the, the real uh, blossoming of the promise. But there's Isaac in the middle of it. And he's got to process things. And he's got to stand strong. And he's got to see the transition of his father his mother dying, his father dying, and now it's me. And he, he even had his own um, challenge with, uh, you know, needing to have God open the womb of his wife. And then those two boys that came out, Esau and Jacob, and the blessing. And, you know, the, the, it's just he had to walk through a lot of things. And I think in a lot of ways, we as we as saints, anybody who is working in the, the promise, Selah, fulfillment, and that's a pattern in Scripture, uh, Selah doesn't mean just, oh, what do you think about that? Or let's just wait here for a moment. In the French Bible, it says pause. But there's no pause in Selah. I mean, you are standing, and you are holding your ground for the promise. You may be waiting, but you ain't pausing. You are active. And Isaac had to fulfill that, fulfill that role. And I know that there are a great number of, of us, in, not only here in the States, but in, in the nations, who have been standing firm in the promise of God, and you are truly believing for that promise to be fulfilled and for, um, for the fruition of what God had said to you probably in many cases, many years ago. You and your personal life are waiting on those things. You've had to know how to stand in the Selah to wait for the promise of God. And so Isaac really typifies that 
And uh, the way he communicated with God is what we want to look at today because this, this was a gift to me because I'd always, it didn't trouble me, but it always kind of rattled around in my head, you know, about what I just said. Abram had this prolific series of encounters with God. And Jacob, my goodness, he, he just had all kinds of exploits, even leading up through the time when, jo when Joseph was gone and then Joseph is back. Man, this, this guy was a, was a 3D a Cecil B. DeMille extravaganza of visitations from God. But Isaac is faithful. You know, he, he's standing there. But here you have the one instance where Isaac is standing and waiting for the promise. And he's meditating. And we're going to talk about what that term in the Old Testament, meditate, means. So let's look at this scripture. Genesis 24, verses 62 and 63. Isaac came from the way of the well, Laharoi. Which, uh, which means my seer lives in his life-giving. For he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. What is this Laharoi, Bear Laharoi? Well, this was the place where God, Elohim, saw Hagar and saw Ishmael after Abram gave him a little bit of food and a canteen of water and sent him off at the time when Isaac was weaned. And God saw the, and heard the cry of that woman and remembered his promise to Abram, and God intervened and opened up a well for Ishmael to save his life. That's where Isaac was. Isn't that amazing? And, and the Bible says further that after Abram died and, and, and Isaac and Rebekah were together, that that's where Isaac lived for the beginning of his married life. So you would think, you know, if I, I'm not going to cast any aspersions to any of you or me, but if there was somebody that was in your household that your your mother and your father to some degree deemed as a threat to you and they gave him a kind of a left foot of fellowship and showed him the tent door wouldn't you in the natural say i'm gonna stay as far away from that guy as i can and i really don't know why god blessed him i you know I'm, I'm, none of us saints would say this but i sure wouldn't commemorate it and live by the place where god had preserved his life but Isaac was of a different, of a different ilk. And so, who knows? He may have been out there processing and speaking blessing over Ishmael. He may have recognized, you know, that was a pretty, that was a pretty harsh thing to do. Um, and in fact, it's kind of interesting that when Abram died, you find that um, Ishmael and Isaac were the ones that buried him. Now, the sons of Keturah, they weren't there. So, you know, you think, who are they? Well, Sarah died, and as soon as, as, soon as Isaac and Rebekah got together, Abram kind of remembered again the promise for him to be the father of many nations. So he took him another wife. 
<laughs> we talk about how uh, Abram and Sarah were really old. Well, tack on another 40 years, and, and Abram still had six kids left in him. I mean, that's what the Scripture says. Now, I'm saying that rough, but there it is in the Bible. Even in the King James, it says that. This isn't coming out of one of those passionate, fiery Bibles. That's King James. So the sons of Keturah, they didn't come, but Ishmael and Isaac, they buried their father. Very interesting. So I think it was interesting for Isaac at this well. It shows part of his character that he was thinking about what had set the stage for who he was in his life. And there was a measure of... of conciliation. There was a measure of, dare I say, um, willingness to, to forgive and to put away jealousies and to put away challenges. You know, individuals who have issues can sometimes let them become points of separation. And, you know, there are those who are so intimidated by what God's doing in somebody else, they deem that as a threat to themselves, and they get as far away as they can. Abram's nephew Lot was, a, was an indicator of that. I mean, he, he was there, he was blessed, but he was always under the shadow of Abraham, and, and uh, he finally said, let, let me go, and he took off for Sodom and Gomorrah. Isaac could have been that way. But he didn't allow himself to go that way. And furthermore, he didn't reject Ishmael. They became, dare I say, um, they, they were, I don't want to say they were friends, but they, were, they had a bond, and he honored that bond. And I think, that's, I think that's very interesting. So at the time when Eliezer was arranging for Rebekah to come, and she was accepting the Sha'al, she was responding in, in partnership measure. This is what Isaac was doing. He was meditating over near where this well was. So let's talk about what this word meditate means because it shows you the thought process that Isaac patterned. And I think you'll also see that as Tammy reminded us this morning in the Sunday school class, it's very similar to what Mary did when she kept those things and pondered them. And it's, it's a way that is plain there in Scripture for us as saints, especially in these days, to process the promise of God and to be able to deal with the issues that come and Boy, aren't there a lot of them. While we're waiting for the fulfillment of the promise. So, to me, this is, this is the gift of the silent patriarch to us. This is, uh, this is a word from God about someone that God loved, but you don't really know from the scriptural record a whole lot about how he communicated with God. To me, this is the gold mine of it. And so as much as we, we see the, call those things that be not as though they are, and as much as we, which is Abraham, and as much as we realize the welcoming of, 
the, the, the dwelling place of Elohim so that we can ignite and unite with the angels according to the plan of God, which is Jacob, we need to know in the sila of the patriarchs how to process in our thinking and in our mind what God is saying and what we need to do in regard to the challenges and the pressures that would present themselves in life. So, as so often is the case, uh, the first issuance of this term, which is translated as meditate, is a verb. And you know, the scripture says in Acts, to do and to teach. And really, that's really the essence of a noun. You know, it's, you, you see something, you see the way it's functioning, and then you call it that. But the verb has to pattern it usually first. And that's the case here. So this is the first issuance, and it is in ver it's in verb form. And it, it, it is from the Hebrew suach, which means to meditate, to mull over in one's thinking. And uh, Isaac was meditating and mulling over a lot of things. I'm not saying that he necessarily at this point in time was thinking about Ishmael. I am thinking that he was considering, okay, my mother has just died. My father is old. He sent the servant away to bring me back a wife. Can you imagine that? Um, you don't want somebody else picking a new car for you, let alone picking who you're going to be with. Uh, but he's meditating. He's contemplating on these things. Now, if you were to look at the the study guides that are available to you in your Bible programs, especially Theological Word Book, which spells this out. There are three, there, there are three noun declensions of this word, and they really speak you know, in a threefold way. And it really, they define how they're used in the Scripture. They define what Isaac was doing in this meditation. And I think we need to see this. So let's talk about this. The first one of these we want to talk about really depicts the mind of God. And it is a noun masculine, siach, which is the divine rationale. It's the only time this noun was used in the Old Testament. And we find it in Amos, Amos chapter 4, verse 13. For lo, he that formeth the mountains and created the wind and declares unto man what is his thought. There's the word. That makes the morning darkness and treads upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Here we find that this word describes God's thoughts. It describes what God has said, how God wants us to think, his perspective. We've been talking a lot about that recently, haven't we? And that's truly the basis upon which we must evaluate anything. What has God said? What is the report of the Lord? Who has believed it? The arm of the Lord will be revealed. And so when we talk about gaining the perspective of God, we talked about that with prosuke, we talked about that with palal, we talked about that with uh, aiteo, we talked about that with sha'al. All of those factors are based upon you first knowing that you're not just doing whatever you want. The desires of your heart are not ever what whim suits your fancy. It's that you are 
knowing God to the degree that you've gained an insight into his perspective, and that becomes the basis of what you think and what you believe and how you process things. So for Isaac to be meditating in this way, it all began with what has God said? We know a lot of what God said to his father Abraham. We don't really know a whole lot about what God was saying to Isaac during all that time. You mean to, you mean to tell me that God didn't have a boatload of insights to talk to Isaac about when that ram was caught in the thicket? when he was bound on that altar? See, we only think of Abram's viewpoint. But Isaac, God had to process a lot of stuff with him. You know, as we know in so many things where we encounter in the Spirit, it's after the fact that God unfolds meaning. And he un we obey, first of all. We don't wait for meaning to obey. But we obey, and then God kind of develops the film. And he shows things. And sometimes that takes the process of many years. You don't believe that to a patriarch, God wasn't speaking about what was really going on there? Of course he was. We don't have a book that tells us all the things God said. But I think Isaac was well-schooled, obviously, in knowing, you know, this is what God said, and it's going to be, and I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to hold on to it. I, um, I think that the second way that this word became a noun usage, there are several of instances of this, and it, it really speaks about how we cast our cares upon him. It's to contemplate the measure of our fears and our concerns. I, I only listed two of these, but it, they pretty much give the gist of, of what what this meaning is. Psalm 55, verses 1 and 2. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. <laughs> I, I, my complaint is the way things are coming against what you've said. And, and I'm asking you to remember the supplication partnership we've had and that we still have and I'm 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 standing firmly in your heart O Elohim and I I really want to present these things that are coming against me and coming against your plan I want to present them to you I'm going to reflect on them through the eyesight of what you've promised this is a that's a wonderful usage look at Psalm 64 verses 1 through 10 and I know that the word that we're considering is only in this first verse, but we're going to read through verse 10, just as you can see what David is really dealing with here. Hear my voice, O God. In my prayer, there it is, preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Preserve me from fear of the enemy. See, old uh, Franklin Roosevelt, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Preserve me from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. They encourage themselves in an evil manner. They commune of laying stairs privily. They say, who shall see them? 
They search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search. Both the inward thought of every one of them and the heart is deep. Boy, it sounds like our world today, doesn't it? But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. So sh they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away. And all men shall fear and shall declare the work of Elohim. For they shall wisely consider of his doing. The righteous shall be glad in God's plan and shall trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. David was obviously in the middle of a challenging scenario, but he begins this by saying, hear my voice, and in my prayer, in my siah, I, I ask you to preserve me from fear of all these things. That's the issue, because fear is torment. Perfect love, or agape, the pursuit, the breathe hard after God's purpose, casts out fear. But fear will try to wheedle its way into your life. Fear will try to come and say, oh, my goodness, a new administration, what's going to happen? Or what's going to happen with COVID? Or what's going to happen with these situations that I'm dealing with in my family? What's going to happen with, with these physical symptoms that I've been battling? What's going to happen? We say all those things. And if we let those things mature, fear will drive us nuts. Isn't that true? So God says, in my prayer, as I am focused on what you have said and what you have promised, and these things come around and they are seeking what they may devour, preserve me in that confidence from giving place to fear. That's a very good word for us in this moment. The third way and the last way that this is used is only used three times in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at all three of them in two passages. And it really means to say, it is well with me. And to answer our concerns, I think it's interesting that the first one, let's just look at this real quick, just for those of you who are linguists. Uh, the mind of God is, is a masculine noun, which means that you are aggressive with it. Um, the second is, I don't know how much cancel culture is going to be able to study the, stop the study of linguistics. You know, Congress passes a thing where you can't say gender. I don't know what you're going to do with the Latin languages, with all the lus and the laws. I mean, I don't really know, but that's another story. So here, the second one is a noun masculine where we battle. We battle on behalf of what God has said. But this last one, is a noun feminine, which means that we receive and we contemplate. And I think it's very interesting. We settle down, as it were. We're calm in this. And it means to answer our concerns with confidence in his ways and in his word. Now, Job is a good, is a good person with this. And even though we don't recognize him talking about this word, one of his comforting friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Eliphaz comes and starts tearing Job a new one. Have you had friends that came during a time when you were in point of challenge and trying to help you out? 
ran over top of you and made you feel worse after they left? <laughs> I didn't hear any men's, but I know, I know that's the, that happens. So Eliphaz comes, and he's really reaming Job out in his soliloquy here about how Job has obviously done something wrong. And at the end of this, Job says, listen, I'm hearing the way you're speaking to me, and I'm really not liking it. If, if I was the one that was talking to you, I wouldn't be talking to you this way. But Eliphaz goes off. So he begins by saying, you've just totally cast off fear, and you've restrained your, your siha before God. And what does that mean? Well, Job, we know Job was suffering, and we know Job said ouch a lot of times. And we know Job was, was concerned about things that were going on. I mean, the enemy was after him. This was, this, when you want to talk about a battle in heaven, this, that's what this was. But Job, according to the word of his negative friend, was doing everything he could to cast off fear. In other words, he wasn't reacting and overreacting in front of everybody, which is noble. You know, if, if you've got some friend that's got a bone to pick with you, and whether it's their bone or not, and they're coming to tell you what for, and they start off by saying, you just aren't fearing, are you? That's a pretty good compliment. It's kind of a backhanded compliment. Well, the second thing, and how, how does this happen? Restraining prayer before God. Restraining this type of thing. Uh, to me, it means this. Job was so confident, even though his wife was saying, curse God and die, in what God, who God is, and who God had been for him, and he trusted, though he slay me, yet will I trust him, that Job in his committing this to God didn't just keep doing it over and over and over again with the thought that God didn't hear him the first time. He restrained these kinds of expressions because you know what? If you do it right the first time, you don't have to keep echoing it just in case God didn't hear you. Amen? So this irritated Eliphaz, the Temanite. And he, as an introduction to his lambasting sermon to Job, he mentions, Job, you don't seem to be too troubled by fear. And I don't hear you lamenting and uttering all kinds of Pharisee-like. They weren't around yet, but I think Eliphaz could have been one of those. Um, you're not, every time I hear, oh, God, why are you doing this? Oh, God, what did you say? Oh, God, you promised this. Eliphaz noticed that Job wasn't doing this. And I think that's a very interesting word. May it be said of us that we cast off fears, and what we have covenant, I know whom I believe, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. May it be said of us that our faith is that strong that we stand firm, especially in light of the days that are ahead where the saints must shine on behalf of our Father. Well, let's look at the other two instances of this declension. Psalm 119, verses 97 and 99. Aren't you glad when you, had, when you had to memorize scriptures that you weren't assigned Psalm 119? 
<laughs> you'd still be memorizing it. <laughs> anyway, look at verse 97. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou, through thy commandments, have made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. This is that word. And so we see that Isaac, when he meditated, meditated on the mind of God and what God had affirmed as relationship with him, his identity. He also dealt with the challenges that came against him through that bedrock belief. And he demonstrated how they should be met by confidence and trust in the divine plan. But he also made sure that he knew what God had said. You know, it's one thing to know God and to be persuaded by what he imprints upon you in, 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 a, in, a, in a, a measure of gleaning his perspective. It's another to remember the things that God has said and the ways that he has laid out his statutes. And so to me, um, the fulfillment of, of this type of meditation is that we are confident that as we've employed it, that God is heard. And we remember what God has said, and we remember what he has prophesied. So this is essentially what Isaac introduces into the scripture. He, dare I say, was the, the forerunner of this kind of thought. And he was out there in the field meditating in this way. Now, I know that God has given us a lot of promises. And I know that we're beginning to see them blossom before us. Even last week, we talked about how that we were asking God to bring us into alignment with those whose hearts he had prepared. And according to his timetable, he wanted us to be able to co-labor with. And we talked about Rebecca being immediately willing to sha'al and receive that, that invitation to know God, first issuance of that. And, and I think that our embracing what Isaac was doing is key to seeing the fulfillment of that because that's what Isaac was doing while this first issuance of the sha'al was being brought to him. So I say to you and I say to our network family, are you pressing in to the heart of God? Are you spending time in this kind of meditation before the Lord? Have you, have you, uh, you know, I talked about Ishmael earlier. And, you know, and God says when you come to uh, the altar to present your offering, you, you forgive. And if there's somebody you have ought with, you make that right. To me, it is, it, is not, it is not inconsequential that Isaac was demonstrating that 
the one individual who could have been an issue for him, he was, he was honoring. And he was, he was making peace in his own heart, regardless of what his mother may have thought, or what his father then acted upon. And, and I think that in this season, like I said over the past year, I remember how many times I got up here and told you that God was bringing things to my memory, things that I didn't even know I had uh, unresolved issues with. And God was having me lay those down before God, before him. Times where we were attacked and we didn't counterattack, but we simply trusted the Lord. God was bringing those up. And I would say, Lord, what did we do there? other than follow you. We didn't attack anybody. We didn't seek vengeance. We didn't do anything. And, and, and you know, in the midst of me saying that, which was true, God still kept pressing, you survived that by my graciousness and my kindness and my watching over you. But you need to revisit that and release them. Even though you may not have unforgiveness in your heart, you need to release them as a matter of legality. And I think that that's something that Isaac did. I, I, I really do. And we could talk further about what happened with his two sons, Esau and, and Jacob. Um, I mean, that whole scenario still is kind of crazy to me. Um, you know, I see Esau, who was a hunter. And you know how the Bible describes Ishmael? He was an archer. I don't think he was an archer because he was competing in Olympic tournaments. I think he was known as a master hunter. Not that he hunted masters, but he was really he was really somebody that was an outdoorsman. I just think it's very interesting. And that that's a, a message for another day maybe if the Lord puts his puts his hand upon it. But I think that Isaac came to rest concerning issues that could have been iniquitous perspectives. And I, and I think God has been trying to work that in us over the past year, hasn't he? And even in areas where you didn't recognize that you'd done anything wrong, which you may not have, God still was putting his finger on it. And that went on for months with me. I'm not saying God's finished with that. But that went on for months. And that was the place where Isaac was meditating and the place where he lived, even after he began his life with his beautiful wife. So there then, God made himself known to him. And Isaac did not take that lightly. Even though we don't have scriptures that tell us, and Isaac stood and God came in a bright light and spoke to him, we don't have any of that. But it, but it makes absolute sense in the way that he dealt with Abram and with Jacob and with so many others that those things had to have happened. And that made an honorable imprint on Isaac's mentality. And that was the base of his meditation. Secondly, his identity. When challenges came, when conflicts came, he met them with that, just as we do. And I've said a number of times as a testimony to the Lord and before you that there were many times where the enemy thought he had us and he could stop this movement. And it was the fact that we, not, because, not just because God loved us, but we were walking 
as partnering his glory. We were representing something that he wanted done, and it was because of that. That was what the enemy was attacking, and it was because of that that God showed himself strong. There's a power in that, and you need to glean that for yourself. Sometimes the enemy comes after you. You are a, you are a remnant. You are a rare seed, and you, you need to recognize how valuable that is to God. The enemy would love nothing more than to snuff every one of you out. And you need to stand strong and trust that calling because it is from God. You are serving him. You are standing for him. You are, as saints, we are calling forth for the restoration of what God wants. We are offering that kara. We have accepted this because it's God's, not because it was anything we thought was peachy keeny and cool. We've accepted that. And that strength and that stand is one of the greatest measures of weaponry that you have. It's the essence of, of what we stand in. You know, you read the scripture. Um, how many times, how many times the prophets, how many times David, how many times so many others would stand and say, I am standing here on behalf of the Lord my God. It wasn't, you know, here I am and God's with me. I'm standing here by him. And he's going to show himself strong. And that, that, is, that is key. So that in itself helped I, Isaac to deal with a lot of issues. And, um, but then, even though he didn't have scriptures yet, you know, they didn't have an advanced copy of the King James with them. But uh, he did remember the things that God had said. And Job remembered what, what God had promised him. And um, Psalm 119 speaks about how you treasure the covenant, you treasure the testimonies, you treasure the law, you treasure that, and you, you meditate on that. So I think those three things really constitute the essence of, of the eulogy of Isaac, what he contributed as the sila of the patriarchs, and I think that it's something that we need to have as part of our life today. Why has God been speaking so much over the past number of weeks to us, his saints, about how we think, how we process, and what we do with those thoughts and processes? It's because this is a patriarchal quality. It's what Isaac did. And I think at this time, as we enter into some really unique days and months, we need to apply this. And I also think in conjunction with the verse that we talked about last week, which is the next one up in uh, Genesis 24, I think we need to recognize that it's imperative that we embody this so that God can legally, scripturally, make the connection with those that he has, uh, that he has earmarked to come alongside and to stand with us on behalf of the kingdom. This year of the prophet is ably 
we're in alignment with it because God is going to unify us with prophetic camps. Watch it. See it happen. It is going to happen. Uh, we need them as Issachar needed Zebulun, and they need us for the meat God has given us. You know, it's, it's funny. I'm not going to go too far with this, and I'm going to let you go because snow flurries are going to start coming, and I, I, don't want you to, I don't want you to perish. Cast fear off. You know, in Pennsylvania, when I was growing up, the, the snow flurries would remind me i got to put a jacket on. <laughs> My mom would say, Ronnie, you don't just go out there with your shirt on. Anyway, um, I, I was directed by the Lord Sunday afternoon, last Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening, and I looked in the subsequent days at a particular group of prophets. And... Um, God was the one that directed it. I didn't go searching it. And as I listened to some of their teachings, I was amazed at how they were following a very similar format of the way God has brought us. And But the one thing was that as organized as they were and as expansive as they were in many, many teachings, and I listened to about 10 of their teachings, and I, I listened on Spotify at double speed, so it's not as long as you thought it was. But I recognized, okay, we we believe in these people are dedicated to the word. They're saying this, but they don't have, I don't mean this critically or judgmentally or pridefully, but they need the meat that God's given us right here. They need the meat God's given us right here. They need the meat God's given us right here because it will it will empower them and and I believe that's going to be what God is, is going to do. Now, I don't know how he's going to do it, but I do know that we need to keep this mindset, how we meditate before the Lord. Remember who God is. Remember how we withstand through that knowledge and remember what he's taught us. Remember those precepts and, and trust them. That's how Isaac meditated, and that's what unlocked the door for him to really be the one that ushered in the tribal structure because through his son then the tribes would be initiated and um, and through through him uh, his, his the son that would come from him would by a lot of different crazy things open up the world now it was Egypt but at that point that was the world I don't know what all God's going to do, but I encourage you to continue to spend time with him and meditate on him, whether it's in the nighttime hours or whenever it would be, and remember who you are. Remember what he's promised in the midst of the battle, and remember, um, remember what he's taught you. These, these are keys, and that's the meditation of... Uh, of Isaac, I remember, and I close with this to all of our French-speaking folks who are listening. I remember many years ago, um, my family and I, when the girls were little, we went up to Quebec, and uh, on the Quebec license plate, I, I think it still says this. It says "Je me souviens," which means "I will remember." And we went. Uh, you imagine this. You know, you got a dad who's a history buff. I drug my girls to all kinds of forts and battlefields and things of that nature. You can see how 
withered they are because of that experience. You go in Katie's room, she's got a collection of cannons from I don't know how many Civil War battlefields lined up, and she wouldn't trade them for anything. She's, she's well, maybe for something, but she, she treasures those. But I remember we went to this fort on the St. Lawrence River, and the, the man there who's speaking in, in kind of Quebecois broken English said, do you know what this, I won't imitate him, I could, but I sound more like Inspector Clouseau, but... Uh, do you know what this means? No, no. The, he says, I remember my heritage, I remember my language, and I remember my homeland. And that's, that's, their, that's what they are up there. And they still think they're part of France and they're holding on to it. And every year they have a referendum to break away and rejoin the motherland. And I think maybe we should have a je me souviens on ours. We remember who we are in God. We remember the gifts of languages that he has given us to commune with him on his behalf. And we remember what he has taught us and, and what we are to be. This was Isaac. I think on the back of his, his donkey, he had a bumper sticker that said, Je me souviens, <laughs> in, with the shofar on either end. <laughs> All right. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your kindness. We love you, Lord, and I speak your blood to continue to be the covering over your people. Preserve us all, those who are battling against uh, scenarios at home right now. I speak health and life and strength to every one of them. And uh, I pray today that you will cause us all to make it in our travels safely. Keep us warm, but mostly keep us in you. And we thank you for this, Father. We praise you for it, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, God bless all of you. Thanks for being here. Drive safe, and watch out for the people around you. And um, don't forget the uh, giving statements. <laughs>